here we have our wonderful panel, Andy and Kate, and our very own Fiona. I'm going to hand you over now to Fiona. Thank you, Denise, and thank you, Andy. Can you all hear me? Great. Thank you, Andy, for agreeing to do this interview, and also thank you, Kate. So, our first question. You have served as Mayor of Greater Manchester since 2017, but what made you leave the Houses of Parliament for the role of Manchester's Mayor? Well, thank you very much, uh, Fiona. Is it good morning still? It is, isn't it, just about? It's been a, a long day already, but good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be with you all, and I'm not sure I can, I can see everybody, but... Um, Would you like to swap places? Uh, yeah. No, oh. yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Sure. You don't need to Are you see sure? Me. Okay, that, that would be nice. That, that would be. Uh... Yeah. Thank you, Fiona. You're supposed to say no. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to see everybody now. Um, and thank you. This is my second visit. I think I came when the chief rabbi was here earlier, uh, earlier this year. So it is wonderful, uh, wonderful to be back. I, I would like to say I always visited on a Sunday. In, in recent years, which I did do, I was always coming past, but it was to take my girls to netball at Phillips High School, so uh, I used to see the clash of cars uh, outside and uh, try and navigate all of that. You'll be familiar with that. So what made me um, uh, leave, uh, leave Westminster? I was there for 16 years, uh, a long time. Um, I know what you're thinking, I don't look old enough, uh, but I was there for, for 16 years. Um, how can I describe it? In my journey in Parliament, and bear in mind I <clears throat> started with just the MP for Lee in 2001, but then served in the Blair government, was a cabinet minister in the Brown government. Um, I, I, I guess, naively went down to Westminster, or what drew me into politics was a sort of a, a feeling that I gained growing up in the Northwest in the 80s that you know we didn't always get the same treatment as other parts of the country and you know we needed a, a kind of fairer fairer share of things and I kind of very much went to be a voice for the north I, that's what I always tried to do uh, in my time as a, as a as an MP my journey through Westminster in the end confirmed to me that I don't think we could ever get true fairness within that Westminster system voices of people in the north are not heard as loudly as voices from other parts of the country um, and that really came over uh, most uh, uh, to me in 2009 when I was culture secretary and I was asked to attend the 20th anniversary of Hillsborough, the Hillsborough disaster and that was something of a uh, personal crossroads for me because I have to admit it and it's a difficult thing to admit in this setting. I was born in Liverpool, even though I am the mayor of Greater Manchester, it's true, I can't deny that. Um, I was watching Everton in the other semi-final on the day of Hillsborough, um, and I knew many, many people who were caught up in what happened. And actually, it was when the authorities turned on those people in the aftermath that, uh, in many ways, made me feel strongly about politics and injustice and unfairness and that in many ways brought me into politics but it was in that moment in 2009 when I, I had to agonise about whether I would attend that 20th anniversary 
Um, and then subsequently having committed to try and reopen Hillsborough, what I faced in trying to do that within a Whitehall and Westminster system that really didn't want to hear those voices that were still crying for justice. In some ways, my journey <clears throat> turned really at that point, and I saw how the system down there, I don't think ever will, as I say, kind of work as well for us as it works for, for other, other people. And I, I believe we see shades of that now, um, you could say through the pandemic, I think there was evidence of a lack of an even approach to different parts of the country. And then more recently with HS2, without turning this too political, I think, again, I'm not sure the places would, would be treated quite how we were in, in that moment. So I guess the long answer to the, to the very important question was, in the end, I decided that the best way to kind of get change and the voice of the North heard differently was to leave Westminster and try and build something from the outside and build something actually that most other countries in the world have, which is a more functional layer of, of government at the, regional, uh, at the regional level. So it, it was actually a joint decision with my good friend, the mayor of the Liverpool city region, Steve Rotherham. We decided to leave together and try and work together to establish a different way of doing things for the Northwest and get the voice of the Northwest heard more powerfully in the national debate than we, we've, we've been heard in, in my lifetime or in, in the time I served in Westminster. And actually, almost seven years into my role as mayor now, I think to some degree we've achieved what we set out to do. I, I do think devolution is starting to change the political debate and I do think we're... The, we're getting the voice of the, the North heard more than I think it's been heard in the past. I'm not saying it's all down to what we've done, but I, I do think it's beginning to bring the change that, that, I, that I always wanted to see. So that's the long answer to a short question. I kind of fell out of love with the Westminster system, to be honest with you, uh, through, all of, through all of that. And one final just reflection is, the trouble with it is, there's many issues with it, but one is, as, as you experience it personally as an MP, and Kate obviously uh, would have... The, her own reflections, but I guess they may. Some of them will be similar to, to what I'm saying. The system can make you feel fraudulent at times because it gives you lines to take that you then must go out and use in media interviews. It gives you a three-line whip that you have to kind of follow as a you know as a a voting uh, member of the House of Commons. If you're constantly taking some other people's lines to take or constantly voting for things that you may half believe in or two-thirds believe in, but not fully. In the end, it can leave you feeling, what? who am I? What, what, you know, what, how are people perceive, perceiving me? And I do think the Westminster system does that to people who, who spend a long time there. You can't speak often freely for yourself and in a way that you can in the role that, 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 that I'm in now. So a very long answer to a very, uh, a very good, good question. In the last seven or so years, as Mayor of Greater Manchester, I've been much happier in my professional life than I ever was in Westminster. I feel that I'm doing things that are, if you like, authentic and connected to what I always wanted to do. Um, and I can't see myself going back anytime soon. <laughs>
And I know this is a cause that's so important to you that you donate 15% of your annual salary to this cause, and also knife crime. So is there anything we could or should be doing to help, especially with regard to the young? Again, a great question, Fiona. And I don't know, Kate, whether you would like to, to, to pick up the points as well about, about knife crime. Um, we do face some really serious uh, social challenges, as you will all, all know. And I think what we have proved is that by working in the way that we're now working in Greater Manchester, we can actually develop better solutions to some of those, some of those challenges. So homelessness is definitely an example. Um, if I go back to the period just before I was elected, I was working really closely with Ivan Lewis, who is somebody who would be well known to people here. If you remember, Ivan had stood uh, with Tony Lloyd against me, but the three of us had stood against each other to be the first mayor. And we actually never fell out and we've always got on, the three of us. And we carried on working together and particularly on homelessness. Um, Ivan uh, kind of took forward a lot of work for us on that issue. Um, and Kevin, who was mentioned for, um, was working closely with Ivan. And he had the idea, which went in my first manifesto, that we should establish a homelessness action network. So it being such a big issue, what we needed to do is unite public, private, voluntary community and faith organisations in a network to kind of maximise what we could bring to tackle the issue. And that network still exists today, the Greater Manchester Homelessness Action Network. And I would say that has been a massive inspiration to us in terms of how you can increase the power of the place if you network everybody in those different sectors and then everybody pulls together in the same direction to deal with the, to deal with the issue. It's led to us establishing something called a bed every night. So this is now a Greater Manchester scheme that's been running for uh, four years now. Uh, tonight in Greater Manchester, we will provide single room provision for about 550 people. Um, and it's, you know, I, I hear people, you know, it's amazing really to, to think that we are doing that every night now because it didn't exist if you go back four years ago. But the pressure grows and grows and um, it's, it's harder and harder to sustain it. But we will because it's a simple example that if you support people in accommodation, you can actually, well, it's better for them, but it saves money elsewhere rather than people being in police custody or in A&E or in, you know, you, it's a much better way of doing things. So a bed every night is, is, is something that we fund partially through public funds, but the Greater Manchester Mayor's charity, which I set up, and which I donate to, raises money voluntarily from across all, all communities. Um, and we would really welcome, obviously, any support that could be provided for a bed every night through the Mayor's Charity. Or, indeed, um, the, um, uh, the, the congregation could become a member of the Greater Manchester Homelessness Action Network and plug into what's being done there, because there is a big group of faith organisations who are helping us as well. On knife crime, I just will pass the microphone to Kate, but just to say, I don't know... If everybody in the, the room has got to know our new chief constable yet, I, I, I say new, but he's, he's not so new really any, anymore. He's, he's um, uh, a couple of years into his role now. He is bringing about a massive change to Greater Manchester 
in terms of a much more proactive approach to policing. And knife crime, on the latest figures, is actually down. And people might be sceptical about that, but it is. And one of the reasons for that is we have supported Stephen Watson and his team in making much greater use of stop and search powers in, in the city region. Now, that can be controversial in some places, um, but if done in the right way, it's a really important tool. If there are more weapons on the streets, it follows that more, those weapons need to be apprehended. And GMP have done, they've increased use of stop and search quite significantly, but without a similar rise in complaints, uh, complaints about it. So I would say there is growing evidence that um, our police force are in a much better place than they were. I think Kate and I are both subscribers to the old doctrine of tough on crime, tough on the causes of yeah, crime. <laughs> and uh, that definitely, we've got a police force that is more tough on crime than I think we've seen in recent times. But Kate, I'll hand over to you. Yeah, thank you. So I'm sorry I can't see everyone in the room, but um, my, my responsibilities are to act on Andy's behalf in relation to his role as police and crime commissioner. So I oversee Greater Manchester Police and the criminal justice uh, system in Greater Manchester. And in particular, in my team, I have the Violence Reduction Unit. And we're about to publish a new 10-year strategy, uh, which absolutely it is hard, Fiona, as you've said in your question, has investing in young people as our priority. So alongside the, the policing and the enforcement that Andy has spoken about, and which has been really important, and we've got a specialist team of young officers who are out on the streets all the time, engaging with young people, trying to find out if they are becoming involved in violence or using weapons and, and disrupting and, and bringing those young people onto a better path. And along with that policing response, we are already investing and we are now setting out our 10-year plan to maintain and grow that investment in preventative programmes with young people. So we fund a lot of youth activities and we want to do more. We fund, Andy and I have been having a bit of a disagreement about this, we fund a lot of boxing clubs. I said, what about the people who don't want to do boxing, which would definitely include me, but actually those are really good facilities for getting young people off the streets into a disciplined um, environment where they can use their their physical strength and their and get some of their anger out in a safe place and with trusted adults around and that is really key some of these young people don't have trusted adults in their home and private lives but they can form those relationships with the adults they meet in those clubs and sport is a really important way we're engaging with young people um, another really important thing that I think we all know is that young people need to have hope for the future. If they can't see a decent route forward, you know, that they can go on to further study, that they can get a decent job, that they can have their own home and their own family in time, then they give up and they get involved in all the wrong things. And it's why Andy and I are very keen now to make a, a very clear pathway for all of our young people so that they can see when they're in school, you know, how to study subjects that will lead them on to perhaps college, perhaps university, and then on to a really uh, good job in Greater Manchester, if, as we hope, many of them want to stay here. And so we are knitting in Andy's initiative on the Manchester Baccalaureate, the new uh, qualification for young people um, at the age of 16, which will then sort of suggest the career pathways they might go on to. And we're also very keen to make sure that we give support to parents and families. So we've just invested in a new service for parents who might be worried 
that their child is becoming involved in violence so that they can ring up for advice, a bit of counselling, be told where they could go for more help. Just talk about some of the concerns that they've got. Talk to other parents who've been through the same thing. I just want to finish, though, by saying, as, as Andy says, numbers are coming down, and that's really good. Every attack with a knife, every death from a knife attack is an absolute tragedy for the family who lose a loved one and for other families, including that of the kid that was carrying the knife. But I want to stress that the vast, vast majority of our young people do not carry weapons. They've got no intention of getting involved in violence. And our young people are a real asset for us in this city, and we want to invest in them. Some, be, some young people carry a knife through fear, through fear don't yeah. they? Yeah, protection. Just, just add to that. Yeah. It's, I was in a meeting with young people, I think you were there, Kate, and um, the person was a mum who'd lost her... She'd lost her son through knife crime, and it was at Lancashire County Cricket Club, and she stood up and said... You know, you know. I want to know how many people you think carry knives. And um, she said, everybody put their hand up if you think it's 20% of your age group carry knives. And a lot of hands went up. And then she said, who thinks it's 30? And then, you know, a lot more hands went up. Who thinks it's 50? And even more hands were still going up at that point. Um, and she said, the actual number is, is less than 2%. And... Um, she was saying the point of the, of the exercise is it's fear that is making... You know, a lot of young people hear all this, you know, they hear what's going on and then they think they have to protect themselves. Or, sadly, as a feature of our times, you know, they look on their phones at night and there's been a fight at the school and there's all of the after comment that comes from that and then they think, oh, I, I'll be... Tomorrow if I go to school, if, you know, then they carry. And that's the sort of thing we've got to stop, isn't it? The, the sort of fear that young people have got about living and growing up these days because um, it's a very different reality to the one we grew up in, isn't it? Where if there was something at school, it would people would go home, there'd be no after images, and the temperature would lower, and you know it would get dealt with. Whereas now these things can ratchet up and ratchet up. So um, we are really, you know, doing a lot, a lot of work with our violence reduction unit, as Kate says. But just to finish on that point, so important. We think the best antidote to this is giving all young people growing up in Greater Manchester a sense of hope for the future and a direction in life. And that's why the Greater Manchester Baccalaureate that Kate mentioned is about an equal alternative to the university route. The university is great for young people who want to go, and I'm a big advocate of it, but two-thirds of kids don't go to university in Greater Manchester. And the English education system does not have enough to say to those kids about where they are going in life and what our aspirations are for them. And we're trying to fix that through the Greater Manchester Baccalaureate. And if we do, I think that will have as big an impact on youth crime, violent crime, knife crime than anything else. Um, a much lighter question. Jewish music comes from all over the world. What is the song from your life that always makes you happy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Jewish music, by the way. And, uh, you know... Some of the singing that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, it sends me into a sort of another world sometimes. It's so, it, cause it's also sorrowful at times, but that makes me, is this an odd thing to say that sorrowful music sometimes makes you happy or it provokes a, do you know what I mean when I, when I say that? It provokes an emotional reaction that almost gives you a, I don't know, it, it gives you a lift in a strange way. Uh, and that answers the question. For me, it, it would be the Beatles really that always do that because my mum was a cabin girl. So... When I was growing up, the Beatles were always on in our, in our house, uh, always, uh, Sunday morning. So I, by 
by background, I was brought up a Catholic. It would be church, mass on a, on a Sunday morning, but it would be back home and the Beatles would be on at home for that period after mass. And that was like a... As re, she was, did that as religiously as making sure we went to mass. And um, uh, yeah, so even a song like In My Life by the Beatles, which in, I don't know if people know that song, but it's a lovely song, you know it, yeah. But it's kind of a sad song in many ways, isn't it? It's like a bit of a wistful type song, but it still can make you happy when you when you hear it. So that's my sort of uh, that's my answer. Kate, go on. You, what's your? Uh... So I'm trying to get Andy into opera, and it's not going very well at the moment. If you could, any opera lovers out there, if you could you know help me with that, I think he'd like it, but he's a bit sceptical. Um, but actually, the song that makes me smile is one that my dad used to sing to me when I was a very little girl. K-k-k-katie, beautiful Katie. And you know what? My dad loved... Go on, give us a, I can't give sing. Us a little my dad can sing. I, my dad loved being a dad. He loved having daughters. And it makes me really smile to think of him. He's been dead a few years now, singing that song to me right through to this day. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's <laughs> Thank you. So... Some of us remember going to Kendall's for lunch with our parents, uh, with our grandparents, and we've seen so many changes in Manchester since then. So how do you picture Manchester city centre in 20 to 30 years' time? And I hope we'll still all be coming to the soup and sandwich. <laughs> oh, that's a good... I hope I'm still around to, uh, to picture it. Um, I'll make you a promise today. Kate and I will make a promise. Piccadilly Gardens will be better. Won't it? it will. It will. <laughs> Maybe back to the old. Uh, I, I um, did my first job out of university in the summer of 1989, and I remember sitting in Piccadilly Gardens with my sandwiches at lunchtime. And um, yeah, let's just say it needs to it needs to improve. That, that's that's good for sure. I also remember going to. Kendall's with my mum and dad, even though they were very Liverpool-oriented people. The reason I kind of more over here is that we moved. They moved us when I was very young uh, to in between Liverpool and Manchester because my dad actually was moved to Manchester to work um, uh, in in the seventies. So we would go as a family to Kendall's for lunch, not often, but we we did go on occasion. And I, just, my memory of it, I don't know what your memory of it would be. You just see, seem to see. Gail Tilsley and Mike Baldwin and all of the coronation—they were always in there, as far as I could remember. Um, but how would it be in twenty years' time? I, I think we would hope it would be different. In that, the kind of vibrant city that we see today, and it is increasingly vibrant. And we are proud about that, you know, through the work that I've done. But uh, Sir Richard, Sir Howard Bernstein before me. You know, look at the city today. It is incredible, really, in terms of the change uh, between those times when I was sort of, as a young person, trying to find my first job in Manchester in the late 80s, early 90s, where, to be honest, although Piccadilly Gardens looked a little better, the rest of the place didn't. You know, lots of things had left. The city is vibrant, uh, is vibrant now, and we've got to make sure that that kind of turns into... Uh, permanent change for the better rather than just a you know kind of a, a temporary period where people have come and invested here so um, and I know this is a little controversial but I, I'm going to say it I don't think we can ha- can have a city anymore where 
traffic and cars can just carve it up and just dominate all of the roads. Now it's a controversial thing. But I think cities that offer more space for, uh, for pedestrianisation um, and that are connected by a better public transport system than the one we've currently got. So this is our vision for the B network, where we're linking buses and trams in an integrated London-style system, where there's more greenery in our city centre. If there's one thing that I think we've all really not done through the generations... We've not been a green city, have we, a green city region, and we've not been as kind of mindful and as, as careful with green space as perhaps, as perhaps some, other, some other places. I think we've got to get better at putting good quality green space alongside that pedestrianisation in, into the city to make it a pleasant place to be. Now, St Peter's Square's done a bit of that with the trees, and it looks, I think it looks great. There's a new park, I don't know if you've all seen it, up at Mayfield by Piccadilly, which is the first public park in 100 years in city centre Manchester. I would say we just need more, more and more of that greening of the city uh, to make it you know, a, better, a better place to live. And I would say, and I, I know the leader of Manchester City Council, Bev Craig, I've talked to her about it and she would agree with me, we need to make it a cleaner city. Than it, than it is. I think that, is not one, that isn't one of our strong points. We've got to be honest about that. You know, the place does need more of a regular clean-up, doesn't it? Um, so cleaner, greener, definitely. More focus on people enjoying the city rather than waiting for roads with lorries thundering past. We let too much heavy traffic right into the heart of the city. Um, and then opening up of space in a, you know, in, in a much better way. A good example would be the Glade of Light as well by Manchester Cathedral. I don't know if people have been past the memorial to the 22 people who died at Manchester Arena, were killed at Manchester Arena. That is clever reopening of space that has been a bit sort of no man's land in the city that really opens up quiet space for reflection. And I just think we need more of that uh, right across the city. And we are successful. We are bringing people here to invest. But sometimes we crowd in the investment and we don't give people space to live. And we've got to get better at that. So sticking with the theme of public transport, and just to show how cool and trendy this crowd is, we've heard that Liam Gallagher is helping you to promote public transport, so you can hear him speak on certain, uh, if you travel on certain of the Met lines. Is there anyone else in mind to promote Metrolink? <laughs> have, have you got any ideas, Fiona? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yes, we did. We did ask uh, Liam uh, to help us with the launch of the B network. He um, it, and it was at my invitation, and I think he must have lost. He lost me a few votes because when it came to the Etihad campus, I don't know if we had any Manchester City fans in the, uh, in the one or two. Uh, oh, more than one or two. He, he said because in the way that they announced the stops, Etihad campus home of the champions of England and the champions of Europe. Come on, City, he said. And there were some complaints coming in from the red half of the, uh, of the city. So whether it's a vote winner, I, I, honestly don't, uh, I honestly don't know. You've asked me a good... Who is the most recognisable Manchester voice other than Liam is a good question, isn't it? Well, I've just come from my hot seat with Mike Sweeney. But he would terrify everybody because Mike's a bit... He's a bit... <laughs> to the point isn't he um, so Mike, Mike could be considered um, who else H 
There's a young rapper who's not far from here. He could. Kate, help me out. Who, who's a good. We need a woman. Manchester woman. I was we need a woman. Say, yeah. We need a woman. So, go on. Who, who? How about um, Julie Hesenhoff? Do you know, that's a great, that's a great suggestion. If she was alive, I would love Carolina Hearn to do yeah. it. If she was alive. Yeah. yeah, Mrs. Merton, for those of yeah. She'd be the best, wouldn't she, if we could uh, imagine that. What a loss, what a loss she was. Yeah. So there we are. There's... Maybe Victoria Wood, if she'd been alive. Oh, even better suggestion. Yeah. Uh, so some of our members remember when the Lord Mayor of Manchester was Jewish. We've had Harold Tucker, Dr Michael Taylor, Freddie Balcom, JP, and others. And we know that Councillor Yasmin Dar is the current Lord Mayor. But what is the difference between the duties you have and those of the Lord Mayor? Ooh, um, it's interesting. Freddie Balkan is a name I hear a lot. I mean, obviously, I never knew him, but... Um, He's my uncle. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 He was. He must have made an impact. Yeah. Because he's definitely, a, you know, I, I hear people mention, mention his name. Isn't that, that good that you're here as well? That's great. Um, what's the difference? Um, well, they've got a chain. Uh, the Lord Mayor has a chain. We don't. Um, so the role that I occupy is, is, of course, a more executive decision-making role. Um, and the Lord Mayor and the mayors in the other districts has become more of a ceremonial role over the years in local, in local government. So obviously the, the mayor does have a duty in sitting and presiding over the council and meetings of the council, but it's a, um, a role that is largely ceremonial, um, obviously representing the community at various events or uh, being with the community at events, um, whereas our role is, this, Kate and I, you know, because Kate's the deputy mayor, um, for policing, crime and, and fire. Um, I have that role, if you like, within my role as Mayor of Greater Manchester, delegated to Kate, but also transport, um, housing, planning, uh, skills. Greater Manchester now has got a, quite an extensive devolution deal. And actually we signed a new deal with the government earlier, earlier this year, which will give us much more extensive powers over our own affairs. And to be honest, I'm proud that we were able to sign that devolution deal because it's in the tradition here that we act more in a pragmatic way rather than in a political way. And we work with all uh, political parties and we try and advance the interests of the place rather than just take a party-first type, type of approach. But having signed this deal, Greater Manchester will soon receive a funding settlement from central government that is like Wales or Scotland. So we will get a block of funding that we then will have much more flexibility over how we decide to spend it, uh, rather than what currently happens, which is all the money is given to us in little little pots. So as we move into that world, the power I will have working, and it's not just me on my own, by the way, you know, the, I chair the Greater Manchester Combined Authority, which is the 10 districts of Greater Manchester, the 10 leaders make up the GMCA, and I'm, if you like, the 11th member, but the chair of it, um, and what we're always trying to do is, is decide together what's the right direction of travel for Greater Manchester. So the truth of it is, without being disrespectful to, um, to Yasmin or any of her predecessors as Lord Mayor, the powers of the Mayor of Greater Manchester are significant and are likely to grow quite a lot. 
in the coming time. Um, and it's a role that I wouldn't say runs everything in the city region, but it has a bearing on lots of facets of life. It's a decision-making role rather than a ceremonial role. And that, in the end, is the, the clearest explanation of the difference. Thank you. So we have two last questions that have been submitted, and they both concern Israel and the Middle East and the Manchester jury. So I'm going to put them together for you to answer. So the first question is, what is being done to secure safety in Manchester for minorities in the light of the Middle East tensions? And the second question is from Jennifer Berger, on behalf of the executive of the Whitefield Hebrew Congregation. Many people in the Whitefield community see your recent statement asking for a ceasefire from both sides of the Israel-Hamas war as hurtful and betraying a lack of understanding of the situation. These are sentiments which I'm sure are echoed by the majority of Jews living under your watch in Greater Manchester. Any war is horrific, and the suffering experienced by innocent people in Gaza is heartbreaking. But supporting the ceasefire will repeat cycles of violence that we Jews know too well, empowering terrorists who have made it clear that they will stop at nothing to kill all Jews. How can you reassure us that you have both Israel and Manchester's jury in your best interest? Well, thank you, Fiona, and thank you, Jennifer, for the question. And I should say thank you to all of you for giving Kate and I this opportunity to be here and to have this conversation in this way and dialogue, dialogue with you, um, because I think it's tremendously important that we do have space like this to talk at times, at times like these. And I, and I do understand, um, obviously, the, the feeling that's been expressed in, in the question. What I would say in response, and we'll come, perhaps Kate and I will both come to the question of safety, which you know, is, is obviously something we're dealing with every day and we've been dealing with this week. But what, let me, first of all, give you a full answer to the, to, the main, to the main question. And the first thing I would say is that I, through my career, have learned never to do anything lightly, without thought, care and consideration and, and that absolutely applies to the statement that we issued but it wasn't just my statement, it was actually myself the Deputy Mayor and all of the ten leaders so it was something that you know, we, put, we put together together. and if you read it, I don't know if you have had the chance to read it, I hope you'll see in it some of the care that I just alluded to in that you know, we, we took great um, uh, pains to start by saying we, we consider the attacks of the 7th of October abhorrent um, and we absolutely fully support Israel's right to um, take action against Hamas um, and that is clear and that is, in, that is in, in the statement. We also make reference to a ceasefire on all sides, so obviously that includes rockets being fired out of Gaza as well as any, any uh, coming in and for the hostages uh, to, be, to be released. What, so let me then come on to the, to the substance of it and the kind of final point was that, um, you know, that, that, that dealing with the cycle, the, the cycle of, of violence. 
which uh, obviously is something that um, the Jewish community here and around the world does know only, only too well. I guess it's that very point that I would say led us to the conclusion that we, um, that, that we, we came to. And, I, and I, I referenced my earlier time in Parliament before. I'm just going to go back to that because I lived through the debates after September the 11th and, um, and what uh, then happened in Iraq in 2003 and uh, the things that we've, we've seen since. I, my concern, reflecting on that experience and, and remembering at the time the kind of just of people said that this would uh, deal with uh, was then Al-Qaeda and, um, and would end the cycle of terrorism and violence. I don't think it's possible to, to say that that is what happened. And I would say that what happened in Iraq probably did the opposite, actually, in that, if you like, other people, particularly the Muslim community, would have seen something that they would have considered uh, unjust and then that kind of builds that sort of uh, that reaction and the sense of injustice, and actually can create generational uh, uh, cycles of violence be because uh, of that. Um, and that was very much where where I have kind of come to in terms of thinking about how um, how actually we try and we try and deal with these with these things. Now, just to qualify what I'm saying, though. At no point am I saying that there isn't a right here for Israel to take targeted action against Hamas, and that can be of, you know, a very, a very severe and direct nature in in terms of finding those responsible for the attacks, rooting out uh, the leadership, uh, taking whatever measures are necessary to prevent them doing, uh, making a repeat. But but in the end, my worry would be, in terms of. Uh, what we've seen since, and and obviously now in the uh, in, in the the death toll uh, on the Palestinian side, that that actually becomes cyclical. To use that that point, that the, the kind of the communities and the the younger generation will just kind of then be the, the the conflict passes on and it passes on and it passes on because they see that it would go beyond the Hamas and it would in the end become. Uh, become uh, something that is experienced by innocent civilians and, and children. And now that that is what we were trying to articulate. I personally don't think this should become a polarised debate. I think there is space to start to define what is that targeted action within international law that is that, that, that Israel then should have full support from everybody uh, to take. And I think that's where this discussion should should now go. You know. There's talk of a pause or a ceasefire. Is there such a huge difference between those those two things? Well, I, I in saying ceasefire, I don't think um, uh, any of the leaders and I'll let Kate speak for herself are saying that that should be, you know, never ending. That's that's not not what was being not what was being said. Um, but I, I personally think there is. An opportunity here to not let this become polarised, to, to discuss where there is common ground around targeted, uh, targeted action, uh, and as much as possible, this ends in the in the removal of, of Hamas and not, not widespread uh, civilian 
uh, civilian uh, casualties. So that is what we were trying to articulate. No, so I don't mind if people no, no. want to say points. Or something. Sorry, we're, we're not taking questions from the floor, and I'll explain why in a minute. We're not taking questions from the floor, and I will explain what's going to happen after this uh, session, uh, with permission of Andy. So we've asked the question. Uh, we understand that Keir Starmer has said something different, and he has defined the difference between um, a humanitarian pause and a ceasefire, and he thinks that a ceasefire would embolden um, uh, Hamas in Gaza. So we understand that there is a difference between that argument. Um, but what I can say this now, that after this meeting, Andy has given us permission to say that he is going to meet with Mark Adelston and Mark Levy, and they are going to be asking him all sorts of questions. So this debate is not ending here. It's just we are opening up the issue for you to hear his answer. And we're also going to ask Kate, which we want to do before we finish, about security for us in Manchester because we see a rise of anti-Semitism because of all this. So we would like that to be the answer on that, unless you want to have one last comment on this. I, I, I would. I, and obviously I, I can sense, obviously, the, the feeling in the room. And, 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 I, and as I say, I, I under, understand it. I've just tried to as carefully as I could just explain it wasn't just me it was where, where, <clears throat> where the other civic leaders were as well however I absolutely understand there is a different, a different perspective we are meeting Mark and Mark after this and we will obviously go, go into more discussion of this what, what I will offer to Mark and Mark but I'd rather say it's with you all uh, here as well is we, we want to offer um, a structured meeting with the leadership of Greater Manchester. So all 10 leaders, Kate, myself, uh, the le leadership of Greater Manchester Combined Authority, Greater Manchester Police, so that we can bring commun the community in all of its different, um, uh, different locations from GM into a structured dialogue with the city leaders where the questions that people want to raise can be discussed in that, in that forum. We did something similar with the Muslim uh, community uh, at the British Muslim Heritage Centre last week. And we absolutely would want to do the same, to keep the dialogue going. I think there is potential for common ground here. But the one thing I would say that, I guess, makes the role that I hold something that is probably different, I guess, to you know, where other people might be in this, in this position, I have to hear the voices of all communities in this, in this situation. I have to hear what others are saying and how other people are seeing it. And I then, as best as I can have to articulate something that, knowing it can't for everybody, and, and I know that, but what I have tried to do with the other leaders is articulate something as best as we can that, that uh, is something that all communities can see that they have been heard and that is an attempt to, to unify as much as we can in a situation that, of course, is very difficult for, for everybody. But I, I just wanted to be really to echo for you on what you just said. We... We'll make that offer to Mark and Mark. We, we want to continue to discuss these things as, as much as we can, as openly as we can, listening, hearing perspectives that we may not understand uh, fully, and that's, that, that's the purpose of, of that. And also taking action very directly uh, to ensure that there is no anti-Semitism ever on our streets and that action is taken to support the, the community such as Kate and I did this week when the poster was removed um, in a part of the city region and we immediately issued a statement uh, about that and we'll continue to act in that way as we go forward from, from here. Kate, shall I hand the mic? Yeah. 
I mean, first to echo everything Andy has said, and we, we know that people have been hurt and offended by the statement. I think we do have a shared understanding of, of the outcome we all want, and it's got to be that everybody feels safe, both in this city and that people feel safe in Israel, and of course they don't. It's got to be the rooting out of terrorism, and if we're using language that is getting in the way of that common understanding of what we all want to achieve, we need to listen to that too. But I really think we've welcomed the chance to come today to hear how people feel directly, and we want to have more of those conversations. And we are absolutely clear about the horror that the Israeli people suffered on the 7th of October, and the horror that many families here are still feeling because of loved ones in the region and what they are experiencing. People feel worried on the streets of Greater Manchester too. Um, as Andy says, we and as was noted, I think, Fiona, in the question, there has been a significant increase in anti-Semitic uh, crimes being reported since the 7th of October. And there's been a smaller increase, but an increase too in Islamoph Islamophobic hate crime. But the, the rise in anti-Semitic incidents is unconscionable and significant. And the first thing I'd say is to urge you to continue to report any incidents that you become aware of, or I really hope this doesn't happen, that you become subject to, because we want to know where this is taking place so the police can act, and so we can work with partners to tackle some of the underlying causes of that behaviour. The police are very mindful that people have the right to protest in this country, they have the right to display flags, but not in a way that fosters hate or division or promotes terrorism. And in any instance, when they see that happening, they will use the full force of the law to act. And the Chief Constable is absolutely clear about that, about keeping the peace, about protecting people's safety and security, and about bearing down hard on any incidences of hate crime, abuse, support for terrorism, support for proscribed organisations, that will not be tolerated on the streets of Greater Manchester. And we've got a great history in this city region of different communities coming together in times of adversity. I mean, the arena and its aftermath is such a strong example. And when Andy and I were at the vigil just very shortly after the attack, um, with the chief rabbi and Jewish community organisations and many thousands of people in St Peter's Square, a very moving occasion. Um, we were talking about the need again for all communities in Greater Manchester to stand together. That is so hard when you're hurting, when you're angry, when you're frightened for loved ones, when you're frightened for yourselves. But it was actually the strength of our city before, and I believe it will be the strength of our city again. And being able to talk openly about where we're making one another feel angry or uncomfortable is an important part of that strength. Um, so we're really grateful to have had that chance to come and speak to you today. And I also just want to say, if you've got any concerns about the way that policing is being carried out in Greater Manchester, and my impression is that that is not the case, that Jewish families in Greater Manchester feel the police have been doing a good job. But please, if there are concerns, if you feel things are being missed, or not handled appropriately. We need to know about that too, because I know I speak for the Chief Constable when I say this is absolutely top of his priority list, and he's absolutely determined that we're going to protect our Jewish community here in Greater Manchester and keep everyone safe.
So we're going to close it there because Andy is now going to meet with the two marks. Um, but we want to thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. Thank you, Kate, for coming. I know we've discussed some serious concerns and some not-so-serious concerns. Um, and we understand that whilst this forum cannot resolve matters, there is no doubt that many of the points considered here will be discussed and will be challenged going forward. So thank you very much indeed. Rabbi, would you like to come forward to lead us in the Thank you.